If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Well, how many of you, as you're turning, think through this, have already bought all the presents? They've already been wrapped. I'm not going to punish you with this, I promise. Not based on that, but anyway. Already wrapped, most of the cooking's done, the desserts are done and everything. How many of you are that far? The Christmas cards have been written. How many of you are that far? Okay, the rest of us, what do y'all want to do to these people? What, what do you... <laughs> Make them come help us. That would be a good thing, right? I, I think I saw four hands in the whole room. So y'all got a lot of work to do. So get home and get busy. So anyway, what is so special about Christmas? Some would say the busy shopping malls, the Christmas meals, the cookies, the desserts, the time of decorating, the time together with family and friends. Others would say it would be the family traditions and the gift giving. Then there are those who would say that special TV programming this time of year, the Christmas classics, that's what it means. White Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, and maybe even the famous 1947 film classic, Miracle on 34th Street. In this movie, a little girl discovers dreams can come true if you really believe. Six-year-old Susan has doubts about childhood's most endearing miracle, Santa Claus. But after meeting a special department store Santa, who is convinced he is the real thing, Susan is given something to believe in. Of course, to believe in Santa Claus, you would have to believe in miracles. That deer can fly quantum speeds. That an overweight Santa can descend into your home through a narrow chimney chimney, excuse me, and more impressively, go back up the chimney by putting his finger to the side of his nose. And also believe that Santa can deliver millions of gifts all around the world in one night. While the story of Santa can be fun to share around the Christmas season, as we all know, he's not the true miracle of Christmas. The true miracle of Christmas did not occur on 34th Street in a large city, but on a lonely street in a little town called Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Today, I want us to look at four miracles that surround the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, you, know, you know what's really interesting? I like some of the music. I like all the music that Wesley's chosen over the Christmas season here. But the ones that I like the most, how many, many of you are probably there with me? When, when, when you start with the, the first coming of Jesus, maybe the baby in the manger, and those songs that lead you uh, to what his purpose was for coming, to the redemptive plan, to the song that continues on to the cross and his resurrection and he's coming back. Those are my favorite Christmas songs, not just the Bethlehem story, but the ones that can extend beyond that. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at Jesus coming to Bethlehem and how that unfolded several miracles with him coming. So look at the introduction there on your outline. A miracle is an act of God contrary to the laws of nature as we understand them. It is an event when God supersedes the natural laws he himself established and intervenes supernaturally. How many of you like it when he does that? That's really cool when he does that, isn't it? We've seen healings take place. We've seen God just show up. And uh, some of you, I've talked to you over the years, and, and, and sometimes answered prayer, you, you consider it just God just showing off. And don't you like it when he does that? But here's something interesting. 
When Jesus came, there were miracles that were associated with his coming. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look on your outline, and really it's this. Christmas is really about these four miracles. Miracle number one, God came to earth. It is the most significant event in the history of mankind. Christmas is a celebration. Have you ever thought of it this way? Christmas is a celebration of an invasion when God invaded earth. Some of you may have always thought that the celebration of Christmas was about Jesus coming to earth. And it is, which leads us to this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, what's interesting about that question is it depends on who you ask. Some people would say, oh, Jesus, yeah, he was uh, that person that lived 2,000 years ago. He's the, uh, one of the main characters in the Gospels written in the Bible. Oh, Jesus, he was a good teacher. He was a good moral person. He, he was all these things. But, y'all, we know him by more than that. We know him because of the miracles that came from him. But here's something very important. Most of the world does not believe this, but Jesus, listen, is God himself. It's God himself. It wasn't just, and, and, and I think the reason we have a hard time with that is we can't get our minds around the fact that he showed up in a little town born as we are. So here's what I want you to think about. In Colossians 1.15, think about the story of Bethlehem. But I want you to think of it through the lens of Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. It says, Jesus, or he, is the image of the invisible God. That baby that laid there in that manger was the image of the invisible God. How many of you that just blows your mind? Blows your mind. The firstborn over all creation. It speaks of his prominence. For by him, that baby... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, both visible and invisible. Not only the world that we see, but also the world that's still around us is invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That just blows my mind. The, the capability of all that was laying right there. In that manger 2,000 years ago. Think about it. The creator of the universe came to earth as a baby named Jesus. And of course, we know that Jesus was God. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting my mind around that. But think of this. Jesus said of himself, I and my father are one. We're the same. You see me, you see the father. You see the father, you see me. We're the same thing. Jesus and God are the same. And, and, and Jesus came to earth. That's miracle number one. Now, let me give you a caveat to this miracle. It is, it, it, not, it is not only that God, through Jesus, came to earth. But listen, his coming was perfection. Perfection. How do we know that? Write this verse down. I want you to see it for yourself. Galatians 4.4. 4. Listen to what it says. We know the first part. I think many of us have got our minds around this. But when the fullness of the time had come, when the perfect time came, what did God do? He sent forth his son. The perfect time. I want you to think about that. God, eternity past, eternity future, said one day, I'm going to send my son, and here's the perfect time to do it. The perfect time. 
Now think about the world at that time. Think about the Greek influence and the Roman influence and all the world at that time. Uh, there's something that, that was known back then called the Peace of Rome. And what was interesting about the Peace of Rome, the Roman Empire had extended its boundaries so far that, that there was really a, 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 hundreds of years of peace besides the little skirmishes that would break out and some that were trying to revolt against it. But basically, it was a time of peace. It was a time of progression. It was a time when roads were being built. It was a time when the gospel could go forward. And, and really, if you think back over the ancient world and you look at that time, Look at history, you'd say, you know, that, that is a good time. But listen, it was more important, it doesn't matter what we think, it's what God thought. And he said, this is the perfect time to send my son, 2,000 years ago. But this, the verse goes on, and I think sometimes we forget about the rest of the verse. It says, he was born of a woman. Born of a woman. Can I tell you what that literally means? It means he had a perfect plan. The timing was not only perfect, but he, the fact he's going to be born of a, of a woman was perfect in itself. Now, here's what's interesting about that. No other religion, no other faith even presents their deity that way. None. Christianity stands alone in this. Other religions would say, yeah, there is a higher power. There's a God out there, and he reveals himself, but he reveals himself through his messengers, his prophets. When Jesus showed up, he was born of a woman. And what would really blow your mind is that little baby born of that woman was deity, was deity. That's what separates us from the rest of the world when it comes to its religions. There, there's a big difference there. Thirdly, he, the Bible says he was born under the law. And I think so many times, and even I, when, when, when I've quoted the verse, I've left off those last two statements because I, want, I don't want to get anything lost in that. But that's important too. The fact that he was born of a law means he had, listen, it's referring to his perfect existence. Not in any way did he break that law. Guess what every one of us have done? We've broken the law. Galatians 4.4 is a picture of perfection, of what we're seeing there in Bethlehem. It's the picture, the perfect time, the perfect plan, and I'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment, and the perfect existence. But the miracles don't stop there. A second miracle of Christmas, God became a man. And we kind of looked at this in just a, for just a moment, but how did Jesus come to earth? He didn't come some flashy way. Now think about that. And I've asked you to contemplate this in Christmas past. But, but I want you to think about that. If you had your son, who you were so proud of, and you wanted to send him to earth, would you not want to send him to earth to just blow the minds of the people away? Maybe there's enough of, I don't know what it is in me, but I'll be thinking, no, I, they'd know he came. <laughs> but that's not the way God chose to do it. He came in a simple way. It all started on the one cool starlit, starlit night. Look at Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be? Because uh, this would have to be a miracle for this to take place. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was barren. Now, of course, this is a reference to John the Baptist. For with God, here it is, nothing will be impossible. You know what he's, you know what she's, he's saying there, an angel? There's more miracles on the way. More miracles are on the way. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. She's submitting to this word. Let it be according, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now think of this. Jesus came as a baby, as a human being, born of a virgin. That's miracle number two. There are over 600 predictions in the Old Testament about Jesus' coming and what he would do. The virgin miracle was also predicted in the Old Testament. Look here at Isaiah chapter 7. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Speaking to Israel, he was going to give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We sang about that a while ago. You know what it means? God with us. God with us. Now think about this miracle. Of all the ways that God could have come into the world, he came the same way you and I come into this world as a babe. Now, Philippians chapter 2 gives us probably the best picture of how Jesus really came. What it really cost him to come the way that he did. And so I want you to look at Philippians 2, look at verses 6 through 8 here on the screen. It says this, Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He equated himself as God. Now, now that would be a big saying to, to many people in the, in the first century. That would be almost blasphemous to the religious Jew. But he's saying that. He just, uh, the, the Bible says that. Paul writes that down. He said he didn't consider it, he's considered it equal to be with God. But here it is. But he but made himself, that's Jesus, of no reputation. Some of your translations, if you were to look in your Bibles, it would say that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now think about that. What does that mean? What does it mean, listen, for a baby to be born in Bethlehem, come that route, do the things that he did, as we're going to see in just a moment. What does it mean that before he shows up, he empties himself? Well, think about it again, as I've already said. He was deity. Do you know what he literally did? He laid certain aspects of that deity aside. He laid it aside. He emptied himself. Now listen, when he came to earth, when those three years that his ministry was so recorded, we know he did miracles. We know he walked on water. We know there were certain things that he did only deity could do. But here's what's interesting. There was a a fact of it that he laid much of his deity aside. Now do you know why he did that? And so many times we we just kind of lose sight of that. 
He did that to relate to us, to relate to us. When it says that God is with us, when it says that he dwells with us, it's more than him just coming and hanging out for a while. He's not only coming and doing that. Listen, he's identifying with us. He's identifying with us. What is he identifying with? Our pain, our suffering, the, 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 the pain of what sin can cause, the pain of the, this world brings, the pressures, the loneliness at times. As you read the gospel accounts, do you not see that he experienced every little thing that we experience? He, he came to identify with that. That's the reason he laid it aside. It says, taking the form of a bondservant. Now, here's what's interesting. If I sent my son, I'm thinking, I'm, going, I'm God, I'm going to send my son. Oh, he's going to be master of all. But what does the Bible say? A bondservant. That means someone who's sold out to a cause, someone's cause. And he came that way. He came that way, and that was God's will for him. And coming in the likeness of men, he, he identified with us. Uh, uh, he laid aside his, cre- uh, his, cre- uh, uh, his deity for a creature status, so to speak. He's now capable of growing and suffering. And being found in appearance as a man, listen, he humbled himself. Now, here's what's interesting about that phrase. He not only humbled himself lower than God, he lowered himself lower than many men. Have you ever got your mind around that? How do we know that? Because he he did. He was accountable to men. There were times in which people were contesting him and saying, okay, this and that. He said, just like I am, you need to be accountable to them. God has placed them that we be in subjection to them. He, he, He said things like that. And he put himself in that category. So it says he, he humbled himself and became obedient. You know what that means? He, under not only the authority of God, but the authority of a man to the point of death. Now, do you think he could have stopped himself from going to the cross? Could he have? No, you know what he did? He yielded to the plan of the Sanhedrin. He yielded to the plan of men. Why? For us. Listen, to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This passage tells us that Jesus came into this world as a man. Jesus came to us in a way that we could relate to him. The Bible says that he was like us. Think about this. He was born like us. He grew like us. The Bible says he grew physically, spiritually, socially, emotionally. He was tempted like us. He had the same needs, the same drives, the same desires, the same types of problems, the same types of pressures. The reason he went through all this was so that he could relate to us. So when it says God with us, it's more than a baby showing up at Bethlehem. It's the picture of a man who came, who lived 33 years of wanting to identify with us in such a way that he could relate to us. Is there any other religion that even comes close to that message? None. None. The reason he went through all this was to relate to us. No matter what we are going through, God understands because he's been there. There were times in which he suffered the pain, the suffering, uh, the loneliness, the fatigue, the disappointment, the criticism. Even at times when he was so misunderstood. 
He went through all this because he wants to have a relationship with you. You were made. Listen, you, do, you may not know this, but you were made for a relationship with God by way of Jesus Christ. That's what you were made for. You were made, listen, to know God. The Bible says you were made to be loved by God, that God created you as an object of his love. He came to earth because he loves you. He came as a man because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to identify with you, which leads us to the third miracle of Christmas. God came to ordinary people. How many of you are thankful for that? Doesn't matter how ordinary you are, in which I think most of us in this room would consider ourselves ordinary. Some of us may even see ourselves as a, possibly a nobody. God came for you. Now, now, look at how it plays out in Scripture. First of all, let me say this. When Jesus came as a man to earth, he didn't come to a select few. He didn't come to the privileged. He didn't even come to the religious people. You know that, right? Look at who he came to. Luke chapter 2. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We all know that. We've heard that story all our lives, most of us. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were just like we would have been. They were greatly afraid. According to the social status of that day, I want you to hear this. Shepherds were considered by most to be nobodies. They were, they were considered, listen, the outcast of society. When you couldn't get a job anywhere else or hold down a job, you became a shepherd. You went out and just took care of sheep, which meant that you probably slept with the sheep. You were, I mean, you were out there under the stars with the sheep. Yet God honors, listen, these nobodies with the greatest news ever given to man. The Bible goes on to say, in John chapter 1, verse 14, what does it say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us, related to us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, who was full of grace and truth. The message paraphrases it this way, John 1, 14, and the message says this, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to us because we couldn't reach up to him. He is perfect, listen, and we could never know God on our own. So he had to come down to us. That's the third miracle of Christmas. Can I give you the fourth miracle of Christmas? God came for our benefit. He came for our benefit. So many people lose sight of that. So the real question there is, why did Jesus come? Some people say that, as I said earlier, oh, he was nothing more than a good teacher. He was a moral leader. He was someone who was willing to die for what he believed in. Uh, he, he, I mean, have you ever heard the world try to describe Jesus? Isn't it funny how none of them really deny him, that he existed? They all agree he existed. But they want to keep him at bay by labeling something else other than what he is. What he is. What they lose sight of is the fact that he came for their benefit. He came for our benefit. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 10. Then the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ. He's the Christ. Hey, guys, the ones everybody was looking for, he's here. Might not be in the way you thought he was going to come. He's here. He's here. Lastly, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. This will be the last place I ask you to turn. Hebrews chapter 1. As you're turning there, listen to these words. Jesus came to be a Savior to man. The gospel writer Matthew gives his own account of this. You can see it here on the screen. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 it says this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's Joseph saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. We saw this uh, reference last week. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's conceived in her is holy. It's undefiled. It's perfection. The timing is perfect. The plan's going to be perfect. It's all there. And he will be perfect. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, let me, let me just say this. Do you know why I believe in a virgin birth? Because of the life Jesus lived. It's not, listen, I believe God's word. I think most of us in this room would say, I believe God's word. I believe the Bible is something that's trustworthy. I can build my life upon it. Uh, there are things in there that God, my creator, wants me to know and how he wants me to live and how he wants me to conduct my life. I believe all that. And when we read about the virgin birth, we say, hey, if it's in there, I believe it. How many of you kind of think that way? But you, can, can we care to step further? The reason I believe that there's the proof of a virgin birth is the description of his life. Listen. No man who has ever lived, lived a perfect life. Only the God-man would be capable of doing that. So here's, here's my challenge to you. And there may be some people in here in this room who say, virgin does not mean what it means. It means young, young girl. And it means, listen, you can go to all the seminaries you want to. You can go to all the, uh, the divinity schools you want to. You can hear all the theories that are out there. But let me just tell you this. A man born of man is going to sin. I'm sorry, but a man born of God has the, has the potential for perfection. And he pulled it off. He pulled it off. So, here's where I want us to look. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I want you to, many times we lose meaning of what Scripture's saying because we lose sight of what the pronouns are really talking about. In this passage, you have to pay attention to the pronouns. Now, a pronoun, for those who may not know, I learned this many years ago. I'm pretty smart. <laughs> a pronoun is he, she, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right, you with me then? All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, now who's that? Who is that? God the Father, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers. How did he do it? By the prophets. How many of you know that? You've read the Old Testament. That's the way he did it, okay? Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Okay, we, we pretty much understand the pronoun so far. Whom, now that's where it can get tricky. Who's that referring to? 
It's referring to Jesus, whom he, that's referring to God the Father, has appointed heir of all things. Through whom, who was that again? Jesus, also he, who was that? God made the worlds. Now, again, let's go back to where we started this sermon. Who's laying in the manger? The one we just read about. Heir, heir, heir of all things. Start to say heir of all things. Heir of all things. I mean, look at this. All the worlds were made for him. Here we are, verse 3. Who, who's that reference? That's Jesus. Being the brightness of his glory. That's referring to God. He brought glory to God. And the express image of his person. That's God the Father. And upholding all things by the word of his. This is referring to himself here. Jesus, his power. When he, that's Jesus, had by himself, that's Jesus, purged our sins. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels. As he, that's Jesus, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now what this is saying is this. That baby laying in the manger. Everything that we see. Everything that a response comes from. From the garden all the way to the very end when he comes back again. This has all been about whom? That should give you a clue. Whom? It's been about Jesus. It's all been about Jesus. Every bit of it's been about Jesus. John 3, 16. You couldn't say the Christmas story any better than this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, do you realize that's a, that's a Christmas verse? It's a Christmas verse. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Look at this one. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. How do you live through him? By identifying with him. When Jesus came, what was he seeking to do? To identify with us. He gave the invitation. He's saying, okay, I'm here to identify with you. Will you now identify with me? That's what he was doing. That's what the Christmas story is all about. That's, that's the terminologies that we find all through it. And so how do we live through him? By identifying with him. His purpose for, co for coming to us was to identify with us. Now we're going to reciprocate. That's all he's asking. That's all he's asking. And then it goes on. In this love, this love that was started by the Father, passed down through Jesus, in this love, not that we love God. Listen, we didn't start the relationship. We didn't start identifying with him until he did what? Came and identified with us. It didn't start there. It didn't start with us. It started with him. But that he loved us and sent his son. You know, many people could stop the verse there. And would you agree that a lot would be said if you stopped it there? It would be a great verse. But it goes further. This is, this is, this is amazing. To be their perpetuation for our sins. Perpetuation is a fancy word 
that means God's wrath is satisfied. Let me tell you this. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. Okay? He was born of the law. It means he, he, was, he, he was told to, uh, part of his identification was he had to live it perfectly. Did he live it perfectly? Yeah, he did. He did. He lived it perfectly. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting about it. Did any of us live it perfectly? Not a one. For all have sinned and what? Come short of the glory of God. We all missed. We missed. Our life is a miss. Every bit of it is a miss because of our sin. So here's the only thing, listen, that Jesus did not identify with when he lived. He did not identify with our sin because he never sinned. Guess when he identified with our sin? When he was placed on the cross. All of a sudden, our sin that had never touched him before. Even living 33 years as a man, never touched him. And you look back through all eternity, never touched him. All of a sudden, at that moment, while on that cross, our sin was picked up and put upon him. He identified with our sin so that we may identify with him. So our sin was placed on him. It didn't end there, y'all. Comes up with this part of the verse. And then God's wrath that was due us was poured upon him. You know, it's amazing how sometimes we can be so flippant. And I'm talking about me too. We can be so flippant about our worship. We can be so flippant about what holidays really mean. This one really means that God came to us to identify with us. And how dare us lose that message and everything that the world's thrown at it? How does that even happen? Our greatest need as a man is forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior so our sins could be forgiven. One day Jesus stretched out his hands on a cross. They nailed him to it. And he paid the penalty for all our sin. This is God's Christmas gift to you. This is the true meaning and the true miracle of Christmas. However, there's only one problem with a Savior. You can only have a Savior if you recognize you need a Savior. The point is this. Jesus can't save you until you stop trying to save yourself. There is a gift. You, the gift he offers, you could never earn it and you'll never deserve it. It's free. The word for gift, if you look at the Greek, is the same word for grace. It's, gra it's a grace gift. He offers it to us. God demands perfection, and perfection only comes through Jesus. We all miss the mark. So here it is. The true miracle of Christmas did not occur in a large city on 34th Street, but in a little town in the back of a barn when God came to earth as the God-man Jesus who reached out to ordinary people with love, forgiveness, and salvation. So here's the application. The miracle of Christmas is that God came as the child Jesus, who was the God-man, who became the true gift for those who seek him and receive him. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to do something a little different this morning. I want you to use this time for reflection. So I just want to ask you to bow your heads. If you just bow your heads with me. And here's a question I want to ask. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? 
Do you know him? If you don't, I want to invite you to come to him this morning. How, how do you do that? you got to come to him on his terms. He offers the gift, but he says, here's how you get there. You'll never deserve it. You'll never earn it. I'm offering it to you. I just ask for your repentance. The very sin that I died for on the cross for you, I want you to renounce it. I want you to renounce it. I want you to turn from it. And I want you to turn to me. And if you're willing to do that, salvation can come to you today. That's what it's all about, y'all. That's what it's all about. Have you ever wondered why the world hates this message of love? I mean, think about the way I presented that today. And I took it straight out of God's word. I didn't alter it in any way. How do you reject that kind of love? Why would the world want to? There's three reasons why the world rejects it. Number one, they live in rebellion. They don't want to be accountable for their lives. So they live in rebellion. It's not for me because I don't want to answer to him. You don't want to answer to love? Here's a second reason. They are deceived and do not believe that they can be forgiven. I've met so many people like that. I think it would blow our, our minds if we really understood who all really believed that. But it doesn't matter what you have done. He came to identify with us. He's just asking you to identify with him. It doesn't matter what you've done. You will be forgiven. And then thirdly, another reason why people have never received this message is because they've never heard it. They're still in their ignorance. And that's the reason we give to causes like Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for World Missions. And we, that's the reason we exist as a church. To make Him known. To make Him known. And so those are the three reasons, I believe, that people reject this kind of love. So here's what we're going to do. Sarah Beth's going to sing for us. I just want you to sit there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to reflect on what we've, we've heard here today. Some of you just need a time of worship right there in your seat and acknowledge some of the things that we brought forward today. But maybe there's someone in this room or some people in this room who've never received this message of love and you'd like more information about how to do that. I'm going to be standing up here at the front. And I just want to ask you to come. This has been a very evangelistic message. This has been a message in which has been presented to you for you to respond to. And I want to ask you to respond. Do what God's calling you to do. I want to close with this before she comes. Matthew 1, 23 says this. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I'll be here at the front. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to contemplate the words of this song.